I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin. Now you have plucked that podcast out and started listening. I took my microphone and found some human folk. Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke. My name is Adam Buxton, I'm a man. I want you to enjoy this, that's the plan. How are you doing, Podcats? Adam Buxton here. Welcome to podcast number 39, which this week features a conversation between myself, Garth Jennings, friend of the podcast, film director, etc., and actor and sometime Mighty Boosh member, Julian Barrett, who, along with Garth and his family, came to stay with us last year, towards uh, the end of last year, in October 2016. We had a fun weekend, and while the children were running around and partners were otherwise occupied, the three of us snuck out to take Rosie for a walk around the fields near our house, where I am right now, in fact. Once again, taking Rosie for a walk, this time on a uh, blustery April evening in 2017. Just approaching the cow field. The cows are back, and I've got cow fear. So, Rose, let's walk back this way. Rosie, don't totally ignore me. Let's go this way. There you go. Good girl. I'm stepping on the black and... Oh, that is crunchy. Oh, bracken. Delicious crunchy bracken. I love my bracken. Delicious crunchy bracken between my feet. Anyway, where was I? Ooh. Right, we were walking, myself, Garth and Julian, last October. We had three little mic packs that I have, uh, and we recorded the conversation that way. The first time, I think, that we've had a three-way conversation on the podcast. That's interesting, Buckles. Thank you so much for telling me. You're welcome. And we enjoyed a properly rambly conversation about, amongst other things, dog turds and funny names, for example, Julian's film we talked about, Mindhorn, which had just been shown for the first time at the London Film Festival at that point. Mindhorn, which he wrote with Simon Farnaby, another terrific and very funny actor, uh, comes out in the UK on May the 5th. Looking forward to seeing that very much. Here's a little bit of blurb about Mindhorn. When MI5 special operative Bruce Mindhorn was captured in the late 1980s, his eye was replaced by a super-advanced optical lie detector, which meant he could literally see the truth. He escaped and fled to the Isle of Man to recuperate in the island's temperate microclimate, and today has become the best plainclothes detective the island has ever seen. So we talk a little bit about Mindhorn, and uh, we also talk about Garth's film. Regular listeners to this podcast will have heard Garth talking about the uh, making of the film at various points. And now it is, of course, done and dusted. When we were speaking last October, the film had just been finished, but hadn't yet been released. It came out earlier this year in the UK, and it did very well. Sing. In fact, I just texted Garth a few minutes ago. 
and I said uh, I needed some stats for the podcats. Podcats love stats. And he texted back, Singh has now crossed the $620, sorry, million dollar mark worldwide. $620 would have been perfectly respectable, but $620 million is better. Well done. Good result. I mean, I got a Chortle Award, but whatever. Garth continues, I got a bonus and we bought a new mattress. After 15 years, the old mattress was relieved to go. Probably Garth listened to me talking to Richard Iwade about the importance of um, swapping out old pillows and mattresses at regular points. Garth continues, a sequel to Sing has been announced and is due for release in 2019. I'm writing at the moment and we begin storyboarding in May. So there you go, that's uh, Garth's news. And Garth also told us in this conversation about what it was like to work on the final stages of Sing at George Lucas's Skywalker Ranch in California. Kind of the film equivalent of Graceland and Neverland rolled into one, but a bit more tasteful, I get the impression. Garth tells us a bit about what it's like there. We also chatted briefly about one of my favourite topics, dealing with negative criticism. And we touched on some other bits and pieces in a semi-coherent and ill-informed manner. So, join myself, Garth Jennings and Julian Barrett for a nice country walk. Here we go. Rosie mic'd up? Rosie's mic'd up. She has an internal mic. <laughs> so it's possible to hear what Rosie's thinking at any point. I mean, she is good, though. She doesn't run off. Did she initially try and leave? Yeah, she would run off and... Not know where she was. Though. Well, you wouldn't know if she was going to come back, and the worry <laughs> is that she would go into the road, chasing after a little yeah. monk-jack deer. Mm. And the other thing is that she might get cornered by one of the creatures that she's chasing and get duffed in. What, like an animal ambush? Well, no, the, she might get pinned up against a fence or something by a deer. And then, oh, I see, sorry. And then, yeah, you're just laughing oh, at the prospect right. of Rosie being duffed but, in. But when you say pinned up, it's like, I'm thinking of Han Solo running after all those stormtroopers and then finding out, oh, there's loads of them. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then running back, Whoa! Oh, yeah, yeah. She's got the good life, though. You know, she has got to check her privilege every single day. Yeah. The lives of some dogs. Yes, they may be free and easy and having fun. In Shoreditch. In Shoreditch. <laughs> Our dog doesn't even like going for a walk. He used to have a giant dog, right? It wasn't giant. Well, it wasn't giant. But it was bigger than Rosie. Yeah. Um, Wolfie. Wolfie. Wolfie was a wirehead Vigla. Mm-hmm. But we live in a flat in 
France and, and it wasn't Paris. fair. Yeah, and there was nowhere. Paris parks in general don't like you to even walk on the grass, let alone take your dog out on it. Uh, you know, so, the, so that's why there's so much dog poo in the streets. So. Yeah. Do you go out with bags and... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, always. And every, oh, I'd say almost everyone I see out with a dog does the same thing. Then almost all the ones you see are good. Have you ever had to improvise because you didn't have any bags? No, but I heard you talking to Tash. Tash Dimitriou, And yes. she was saying that her dad would pick it up with his bare hands. Wow. Give it a little squeeze. Why? I don't Just know. Just check for... No, because he he wasn't prepared to leave the dog plops on the street. It's admirable. No, but why squeeze for Oh, I don't know, <laughs> because density, just, just, she may have been exaggerating, yeah. but yeah, I think he was just enjoying the sensation oh. of, of the warm parcel. Uh, wow. Rosie did a small poo outside yeah. your barn yesterday. Right. And then you were walking out, and I sort of said to you, uh, Rosie did a little poo there. And then I thought you were thinking that I was saying you should clean that up. Oh. <laughs> but I was actually just say, yeah, say, notifying you so you don't tre- tread in it. Sure. So then I thought, obviously here, that you're out in the countryside, you don't pick up after your dog. But and then I thought perhaps you were thinking, oh, he's bringing his city rules to, <laughs> to bear upon me now. Kind of, but was that happening? No, 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 no. Oh, not in the least. And we do, yeah. we do try to pick God up. For that. The arrangement, <laughs> no, the arrangement city was um, always that we would pick up Rosie's uh, Oh, was it? Yeah. Even, even in the outdoor area? Even in the outdoor area. The thing is, they dry out after a couple of days and then you can just flick them into, uh, yeah. into the bushes. Just pick them up. Pick them up, play around with them a little bit, juggle with them and then oh. discard them. Julian, you're much more uh, mindful of... This is going to sound weird or it's going to sound like <laughs> I had a bad impression of you initially, which mm. is not the case. I'll put this in context. I went to Julian's premiere, Garth, I'm talking to you now. Yeah, hello. Uh, for his film Mindhorn. Which I haven't seen yet, but I'm very excited about. And it was at the London Film Festival. <laughs> and I came along with uh, my two boys, Frank and Nat. And we got to the Odeon Leicester Square, so we drove from Norwich. Yeah. And uh, it was quite exciting, and we saw Edgar right ahead of us with Dave Walliams and... Um, various folks that I hadn't seen for a while. And we get into the cinema and we swish upstairs, go and find our seats. And as we're sitting down, this guy comes over and says, excuse me, excuse me, can I have a word with you, sir? Can you come with me, please? Which is never good, is it? It's either like, it always crosses my mind, they're going to say, we've got a special executive booth. Yeah. A special place, because you're too good for this seat that you've been given. So we've got a, a nice, nice room for people like you, because I think you know the star of this film, don't you? I think maybe it was even the star of this film, Julian Barrett, that invited you to the film. So you come with me to the special, special place. I thought that's maybe what it was going to be. And I, even, I think I even looked at the boys and raised my eyebrows like... Hello. Get ready for the special place. <laughs> this yeah. is making it much worse. <laughs> oh my goodness. And then we went out into the foyer, and this guy says, um, Sir, uh, how old is your son? And so I just lied because I was like, Okay, here we go. We're going with this, are we? I said, He's uh, 15 and 15. <laughs> and he said, No, he's not 15. <laughs> he can't come into the film, I'm afraid, sir. So, so he's, uh, he's too young to see the film. I was like, what? No, it's fine. I'm his dad. I'm his dad. I say it's fine. No, no, it's a 15 film. He can't come in if it's a 50. He's younger than 15. I said, well, look, 
I'm pretty sure the BBFC, I went for the BBFC. You went straight for the rule straight book. For the, because in the past I have looked it up, but clearly I misremembered. Yeah. But I said, I think BBFC says it's up to the parent to decide whether a uh, child under 15 goes to, no, no, it's NASA. Anyway, I Googled it later on. Indeed, that is not the case. No 15, under 15's allowed in a 15 sure. film. Yeah, yeah. And Mindhorn at that point was rated 15. But I just, I, I just was completely blindsided, hadn't even considered that that might be a possibility. And so I thought, okay, well, Julian's going to be here. I'll give him a Julian call. Julian will sort it out. And I thought, but I hesitated because obviously <laughs> when you're a, a, a day like that, there's going to be lots of people you know and yeah. it's going to be stressful in all sorts of ways. You haven't seen the film in front of a big audience yourself. and yeah. So I really didn't want to give you a call and give you a, another bit of hassle, but I thought, well, I've got to try. Uh, long story short, though, it didn't work out, and um, we... You were ejected. We were ejected. Uh, I was pleased that I managed to keep my shit together a little bit. I didn't totally have a meltdown. Right. Which is unusual for me. Yeah. And then also, brilliantly, I didn't take it out on the boys later on and ruin their day. Well done. In order to, <laughs> in order to create some kind of payback. Yes, for being younger than they should have been. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for someone else doing something nasty to me. But anyway, the whole point of this long story is that Julian, you were very, very... You went above and beyond it, the call of duty to, to apologise and you were very concerned and distressed about it. Well, you travelled all the way from Norfolk, hadn't you? So I, I just felt terrible. And, uh, yes, yeah, so I was... Because I was led to believe you could get in, so... Yeah. But, no, I... I uh, thanks a lot, though. Um, and you were really nice about it. Because some people, you do get in those situations and you want them to be a little bit more apologetic. Yeah. Not that I was expecting Julian to be apologetic because it was in no way anything to do with him, really. Well, I had invited you and said it would be fine for your children to come. But <laughs> then, yes, I did actually know the younger one was going to be coming until quite late on in yeah. the game. What, what uh, filth is in the film? There's no filth, really. I think it might be just some drug references probably push it into that region, yeah. maybe. Yeah. And how was, your, uh, how was your screening? Yeah, it was good. Um, I was relieved. I was expecting sort of... Well, I didn't know what to Were expect. Were you nervous, so. though, before? I was very nervous, yeah. Because had, had it been shown to anyone in the public well, We had before. the screenings all the way along the process of editing. Right. I mean, I found it all quite disheartening and quite sort of terrifying and scary and the, the film being shown, like, to these test audiences with bits missing and right. stuff. And, yeah, it's frightening. I mean, I think it's a good process, if, but I, I suppose... I didn't really have a level head about it, I suppose. Would you and sit in those screenings as well? I did, I went to them, yeah. yeah. And it was quite painful at times, you know, <laughs> just in the early, <laughs> early ones. <laughs> yeah. But um, I'd sort of lived with the film for so long and... Uh, yeah, when did you start, like, when well, did you started, have the idea? Yeah, I think I talked to you guys about it when we first yeah. sort of started, me and Simon started. Simon Farnaby. Simon Farnaby doing the, the work on it initially, which was about, about eight, what, seven or eight years ago. Yeah. And then when we finally made it, all the all the dreams of what it could have been and this and that and the other were all reduced to one sort of baggy version. So that, there was no more possibilities any, anymore. <laughs> and it was that moment of going, oh, all right, so we've got this, have we? This is what we're going to make into the film, <laughs> rather than all that sort of stuff that was in your head. But no one knows what that was. No one's seen that, of course. So then we started putting it together, and, and it got, got it to, as, I think, as good as it, it could be as an edit. But I'd sort of... Then I'd, at that point, I was so... 
um, drained of any sort of joy from seeing myself and in the main part, trying desperately to sort of become objective about it. And I don't know, I just sort of got worn down and then I sort of, I couldn't see what I was doing as being a very important part of the film. <laughs> but I didn't want to sort of going, start being really arrogant and going, well, of course, my performance will, uh, will carry a lot of this stuff. <laughs> and carry some, some of the problems I was fixating on were the structural stuff, the stuff that we were desperately trying to fix, failing to sort of see that it's, it's basically you, you're in a funny outfit and you're running around and falling over and doing stuff. Mm-hmm. That sort of allows you to forget about some of those <laughs> gaps and, and uh, things. So I sort of was just so, so relieved when it, when it went okay that I felt uh, great afterwards. Oh, well and done. Then, but then I was down again when Adam... Adam ruined it. <laughs> Adam sort of took the edge off that. <laughs> well, I think it's amazing that everyone loses their way making something, whatever it is. There's always a point, isn't there, where you're like, I don't know what this is anymore. Yeah, yeah. And it must be doubly hard if it's your face that's in it. When you start fighting for stuff and it's your stuff you've done, little things you've done, you sort mm-hmm. of feel like, God, what am I doing here? I'm, I could do that if it was, another act, if it was an actor. Mm-hmm. You know, but it, if it's yourself, no. Well, this bit, this is this great. Yeah. This thing. <laughs> look, look at my at brilliant, funny face. Look at my amazing thing I did. <laughs> you idiots. So it's hard. It's hard, yeah, to to do that, I suppose. Um, and so I did actually. Eventually, I had sort of let down. I let other people just. Uh, sort of look at and be a bit more objective about it I think in, in the end. Did I, you ever consider using someone else to play the main part? I think we did yeah I mean I sort of mooted that and put that out there initially as a thing and to Simon and you know he was saying no 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 it's got to be you. I mean yeah. initial, that was the initial idea he, he sort of came up with the initial idea the kind of uh, galaxy quest idea of a kind of naive deluded sort of race of aliens or, or what have you mm-hmm. mistaking a fictional hero for a real one and so that was the initial thing. And then Simon said, oh, you'd be great as this actor who used to play a detective. And then you, who were you thinking of? Bergerac and people yeah, like that? Yeah, Bergerac. Uh, John Nettles. Uh, shoestring. Oh. Uh, and all those shows. So we, it was great because <laughs> we could just dive into all that. And initially, it was, we were so excited about being able to replicate that era of show. And we thought there was going to be a lot more of that in it in the end. But as we sort of went along, we realised it became more about an actual real character and his arc and... All the other stuff sort of fell away a bit, in a good way, I think. You know, well, yeah, but that's often the way, isn't it? That one idea is the launch pad idea. It's like it's the one that yeah. gets you up and running. Yes. And then you often have to sort of leave quite a bit of that behind because it was only there to get you up and running. Yeah. But I saw a picture of you online. I haven't seen the film yet, but I saw a picture of you with a... a you've got an eye patch. Yeah. Is, is that the idea? I remember you saying that you could see the truth. Yeah, he's got, um, he's, you can see the truth, yeah. I mean, he went through various iterations. He was eventually, at one point, he was going to have a nose that could smell the truth, like a, a special, <laughs> special nose. <laughs> we thought it could be, it could be, ter- it could be a terribly conceived idea because it was a show that didn't work, so it could be really right. badly conceived. But I think there was right, something... Right, the show in the The film. actual show that we were parodying that we were... Yes. ...that he'd been in, which had been a disaster back in the day. Yeah. Uh, we thought could have been anything. But we wanted it to be a bit more believable, and I think the eye patch sort of had a sort of heroic yeah. element, and, and the nose was... We, we went through <laughs> a few ideas for that, but yeah. And where did the name Mindhorn come from? Well, that came from, initially, from a friend of ours, Ollie Ralph, who's in a band, Ralph Band. Oh, yeah. And he had a character he did once on... On a radio, Bush radio show, which was uh, called Bruno Mindhorn, and he played a sort of weird Belgian poet character who, and he just wrote some weird things, and then he wrote a song about Bruno Mindhorn, and then Simon was listening to um, his album, 
and thought, oh, that sounds like a detective, Mindhorn. Yeah. From the 80s. So that's where the name came from. <laughs> it's a but, great uh, name. It is a good name. You guys Mindhorn. are good. You and Noel were always very good at doing odd names for things. Who was the ladder coins? Who came to... <laughs> Gosh, I don't know. That always used to yeah. really make me laugh, the ladder coins. Yeah, yeah, we... Uh, they were a band, weren't they? In they the... were, yeah, on the radio right. uh, show, I think. I love it, that that thing of when a name will just stick. It's like a good idea for something. Yeah. It just won't yeah. go away. And there's nothing worse than a bad one. You, sometimes when you try too hard. Yes. Ah, they're oh, no. so painful. And then you hear them. I found myself doing that the other day with a script. For about half an hour, maybe even an hour. God, I don't know. Just going, Trevor. Trevor said, that, no, not Trevor. <laughs> Steve. Brian. <laughs> Barry. Yeah. So I had about 20 pages, which, and then I just kept going through Finder in Place and changing their names through the script to see how it felt when I read uh-huh. <laughs> but it. I'd spend days on that yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because I find once you've got the name... Everything yeah. else slots in. It really then you does. Try, then you try sort of, you go, Hannibal. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> try those just crazy weird, names. Sort of weird yeah. names. Louis Cipher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, God, there's some people who are happy to go with Louis Cipher or, you know... Um, John Horizon, or um, what? There's not a John Horizon. I'm just picking that out. Okay. Yeah, they could be. Or Don Protagonista. <laughs> <laughs> there was a receptionist, or a security guard, really, who he worked at a, a production company, and he had a name tag, and it was—I don't know what his first name was, but his surname was Noodleman. Oh yeah. And I was like, just all I've done since I met that bloke was try and find a, a, project. a project where I can call someone Noodleman. And finally, in this film we've just finished, there's a character in it called Nana Noodleman. And she's this elderly character, and she has a grandson called Eddie Noodleman. She's but, voiced uh, by Joanna Lumley. Uh, no, no. Jennifer Saunders. Jennifer Saunders, yeah. Well, she's actually voiced by two Jennifers. Jennifer Saunders does her speaking part, and Jennifer Hudson does the singing. Right. Yeah. But that name, Noodleman, mm. I just love it. It's great. Noodleman. Get me Noodleman. <laughs> Get me Noodleman. Matt Berry and um, Arthur Matthews are very good at names in Toast. Uh, they've got quite a formula, I think, which is just more or less marrying boring first names, Christian names, with inanimate objects. Right. And that works quite well. I've used that in the past. And, what do, what, give me an example. Well, one that I had that I was very fond of for ages was Carol Spatula, <laughs> who was a, uh, a sort of um, playwright. Yeah. Carol Spatula's new very upsetting play. <laughs> no, it's a good formula, like Dennis Lamp. Yeah. <laughs> quite good. Me and Joe, it was always people, things like Julie and Donnie is one of my favourite ones. I like Judith. Judith That's is a favourite of mine, yeah. Yeah. We've, well, got I, a, we've got a character played by Rhea Perlman called Judith. She's a llama. And uh, Rhea Perlman, you know Rhea Perlman. Sure, right? yeah. from, from she, uh, Cheers. Yeah, she was fantastic. But I just love hearing Matthew McConaughey saying Judith over and over again. Uh-huh. <laughs> Judith, hi. J- just hearing him say Judith feels like a triumph. I like the name Judith because for me it reminds me of uh, Life of Brian. Him being so embarrassed about Judith. And then when she takes it, when she stands up, their mum walks in on them shagging. Terry Jones, you know. Yeah. She stands up and she's got a big undergrowth on display. Yeah. (laughs) And she's all strident and powerful. Yeah. I love the face of Terry Jones in that scene. He's just looking at her up and down. (laughs) Utter just horror and indignation. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. 
You know how sometimes <laughs> there's nothing on TV. I mean, often these days you, you'll go through and you'll find an old movie that's playing and you'll think, oh yeah, I'll, it's, it's only 20 minutes in, I'll carry on with yeah. that one. It's usually something like The Rock for me. Right. You know? Oh, I haven't seen The Rock in a while. I'll carry on watching that. Which, according to Adam Curtis, in his uh, hypernormalization doc, one of his theses, theses is that early versions of ISIS or some sort of terror cell out in the Middle East watched The Rock, the film with Nick Cage and Sean Connery, and looked at the way that they dealt with uh, chemical weapons in there. And there's a whole scene where he talks about the string of pearls configuration when he's pulling it out of this canister. And you remember, it's all the little glass no. spheres and they're green and they've all got green liquid. Right. And it's like if one of these spheres landed on San Francisco, it would kill 10,000 people instantly and all this kind of stuff. So Adam Curtis reckons that some guy watched this film and then said or made it like leaked out the information, we've got chemical weapons and to prove it to you, this is how they work. They're in a string of pearls configuration and they're in little glass spheres, so you better watch out. And then that became part of the dossier that was handed to Tony Blair. And it became part of the reason that Tony Blair was convinced that we had to invade Iraq. Oh my. Because they had weapons of mass destruction. Is this really in the documentary? Yeah. I mean, it's Adam, like Adam Curtis's things are like essays yeah. more sure. than documentaries. So it's yeah. his, this is him, him weaving some kind of I, truth out. I love out. the sort of the idea of fictional stuff impacting on the world in some strange mm. psychological way, like the way we sort of seem to be making Star Trek come to life or we make sci-fi... Yes. We're somehow planning what we're going to do with these fictional imaginings, you know, so we're sort of creating stuff because we've visualised it already. Or right, exactly. And that's like a negative version of, of yeah, that, Yeah, because like the Donald Trump character being like the Paul Verhoeven vision of the future. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like that's the, right. The, I'd buy that for the dollar kind of... Yeah. You always were watching that going, well, that's a funny idea, but it's never going to be like that. And it really is. It's almost <laughs> as if... And I, by the way, I, I'm probably misattributing who came up with what. It may even have been someone in the American government that watched The Rock and then right. attributed that information to the Iraqis. Or I can't remember exactly, but that's more or less the implication was in some circuitous way or other, it was the fucking rock yeah. that indirectly helped Tony Blair make his mind up to invade Iraq. <laughs> and um, you do sometimes feel as if various aspects of culture are sowing the seeds, laying the groundwork it's a shame it wasn't like Desperately Seeking Susan or something yeah. like that. <laughs> Just something a bit more um, fun, like My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Yeah. And then I thought, why don't, we, why don't we do that instead? Instead of The Rock. Yeah. It's, okay, it's weird how they get some things right, obviously, and some things are completely not seen at all. Like the internet is never, never seen in any film. That's but true, it's not, it's, is it's it? It's hover boots or it's, um, you know, robot butlers. <laughs> but it's never, it was never the internet. Um, uh, well, there's, be, there's aspects of it. Yeah. I mean, if you look at 2001, he's doing a Skype call to his wife. That, yeah. I mean, that's uh, communication, that's more, isn't it? I know so what you mean, though. So. Yeah, that's not the internet. The idea of being interconnected in that yes, way, isn't it? I think there? that's what I meant, the sort of idea of all the information being somewhere. Or... Yeah. I think there are hints of it every now and again. Well, the George Orwell being the main guy in terms of predicting where things are going to go, right? Yeah, I, but, well, 1984 is a good example yeah. of, a, of a thing that 
wove itself into the public consciousness to such a degree that it was almost as if people were willing it to yeah. become reality. It was like, here it is, it's coming, it's coming. I told you it was coming, here it is. No, it's really coming now. It's gonna be worse next year, watch out. Here it is, fucking it's big brother. I told you it was coming, it was bad last year. It's fucking way worse now. <laughs> it just carries on. Yeah. But I guess that's just something in human nature, isn't it? It always ends up with that paradigm of there being some despot who has some superficial veneer of, I'm going to look after you and you have to just do what I say. That's, that's how going. I'm running my family. Yeah, well, exactly. That's, some, that's the thing, is that family dynamics, so you often feel that they get expanded into system of governments yeah. and, and you know you sort of think well sometimes I've just gotta you've just gotta tell the people what's gonna happen just to sort them out <laughs> uh, like I do with my sons we're halfway through the podcast I think it's going really great the conversation's flowing like it would between a geezer and his mate alright mate hello geezer I'm pleased to see you there's so much chemistry, it's like a science lab of talking. I'm interested in what you said. Thank you. There's fun chat and there's deep chat, it's like Chris Evans is meeting Stephen Hawking. If my dad was here now, he'd be saying, you know what, this is going to burn off. It is going to burn he'd off. He'd be looking up at the sky and he'd go, this will burn off. We're walking now. Should have worn your shorts today. It's a lovely autumn morning but it's yeah. quite misty and i'm uh, not here um it's i'm being put on afterwards yeah <laughs> but with a bit of foley and we're going to add julian in post breathing. some breathing so and it is garth's right it is definitely the kind of weather that's going to burn off the sun is i'm plucking a blackberry off the bush yeah just to mm, yeah, yeah actually just the right they're still yeah, good quite, oh, oh mate thought those you're gonna eat it that's nice yeah they look good. We picked some apples off our little apple I've tree tried outside your, the I've tried those apples. It was amazing. Yeah, I was expecting them to be a bit, you know, a say, bit oh, tart. a bit tart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, they're great. Delicious. It was really good. And I, there was no way I was going to have one because I, I don't like um, supermarket apples a lot because they're too tart. Right. I gravitate towards the jazz apple as regular, as regular listeners will know. I love the jazz apple. And I used to love the Fuji. <laughs> because that was similarly sweet, but the jazz is even better. But Sal, my wife, yeah. said, uh, you should try one of our apples. And I just said, no, that's not gonna happen. No way, why would I? Because also they have little welts in them, things you don't get in on supermarket apples, little blemishes. Yeah, you're allowed those though. Yeah, but I, I'm so thick and childish that it, I didn't even consider oh, I eating see them. But uh, yeah, she, she lampooned me and... Um, Held you down, stuffed an apple in your face. She stuffed an apple in me like a little piggy. Yeah. And it was really great. I guess it's partly that thing that people say, you, you know, if you grow something yourself and you taste it, it tastes yeah. extra special. Yeah. That must be what cannibals were into it for as well. It must... Yeah, homegrown food. Mm. You know. You had that sort if of If you eat like a nice own... guy. <laughs> yeah. Mm. You just think, hey, you know what, this is delicious, because he was actually a terrific bloke. Yeah. Although you were, they were usually eating their enemies, weren't they? You would think, yes. Where was that most popular then? That whole Cannibalism. Can was that sort of New Guinea or somewhere like that? I mean, is it, is it even a thing, or was it an, an it old was a thing. Aztec sort of ceremonies of sacrifice, and, and then eating an enemy gave you his power, perhaps? Ah, if you eat their heart. Yeah. Well, I'm, now I'm just thinking of um, the Temple of Doom. 
with the Kali. But they weren't yeah. they a real tribe, the, the Kali. I think now you see this is we're going into the same area as the rock <laughs> and George Bush and But it's possible that's real, there's a real Kali tribe. We've got to go to Indians. Get them out of the mine. <laughs> there's some crystal skulls. Yes. Well there are some crystal skulls, aren't there? <laughs> I think there are crystal the skulls. <laughs> I don't think that you can hide in a fridge and expect to survive a nuclear explosion, no, which is true. what Indiana Jones does yeah. at the beginning of that. Do you know I never one? even got to that bit? Um, yes, I did. I do remember that. So it's such a weird feeling to watch, a peculiarly modern feeling to be excited about something to that degree, and then from moment to moment just to be denied pleasure. <laughs> denied, 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 slap, 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 slap. <laughs> it's really weird. It was all, t it was weird because you can, obviously, the original Indiana Jones film is not based on accurate physics and science. Yes. <laughs> but they didn't push it, they knew how far to push it. Do you mean the supernatural element, the alien element? Everything alien. about it, all the, you know, the, the, the physical stunts and getting dragged under a truck and all sorts of little bits. It's cartoonish, yes, but it, you go with it and you're happy to go with it. Whereas Crystal Skulls, you didn't want to go with anything. Well, I didn't. Yeah. I always liked the fact that in the first one, all the mysticism surrounding this supposed arc, Indiana Jones, he was having none of that. He's like just some hocus pocus, you know? Uh -huh. that was, I love the fact that it was at the end. Right at the end, he's like, oh my God. You know, and, and initially when you open that thing, it's just dust. That's another great thing. So even I, when I remember when I was first watching it, thought, oh, it really wasn't anything. And then, um, yes, yes, yeah, <laughs> melty face. Yeah. Garth, you were on the Skywalker Ranch doing the post for your film. I honestly... Are you able to describe that? It's a very, really super relaxed, very busy, lovely environment and i should explain it's a, it's a predominantly a sound mixing facility it's these great big sound mixing studios but the building that they're contained in is nestled in this valley that george lucas owns this entire valley and it really is like if you picture a beautiful valley covered in vineyards and olive groves and northern california yes northern california it's just north of san francisco and i've always dreamed of going to this place it has mm -hmm. been a, a dream of mine to be able to work there and it just so happened that the studio I'm now working for always ha have a tradition of finishing the mixes up at this Illuminations. Illumination Entertainment. They always finish their animated films up there. They finish the mix there. So I got to stay there. But it was unbelievable just how great it was. You drive for miles through this sort of windy roads with redwoods either side. Yes, and where they filmed scenes from Return of the Jedi and stuff. You can see where the inspiration came from, really. I mean, if, you were, if, that, was your, if that was his home, mm. he was thinking, oh, we should do it here. And it really is lovely. And then you turn up at a very nondescript gate, then you go down this beautiful sort of country lane, which is all part of his estate, and then you come to the guest area. It's like a little mini village, a very, very small village of cottages and apartments ranging from a very small room, if you're just staying there overnight, to places like mine, which are like a little apartment, like log cabin style buildings. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it all smells of that lovely sweet wood and there's beautiful trees everywhere. But it's very small and cosy and you go and check in, you get your key and you, you basically live there while you finish the mix. And... 
you get on your bicycle with its little basket on the front and you cycle up through the, the lanes, up past the farmyard, you end up going past Lake Ewok, which he dug out and you could swim in that if you wanted to, it's so nice. Mm. Does George stride about in a sort of... He does apparently, I didn't see him while I... crop. And <laughs> yeah, a sort of yeah. I'm not on a horse. It's like a gaucho waving. sipping wine. Mm, this is ripe. <laughs> he is. This wine needs more CG. <laughs> <laughs> He's around, but I didn't see him. And and the deal is that you don't go up to him. Uh -huh. Right. No one says that to you, but yeah. you just can feel that being like that would be very uncool here. Yeah. yeah. Like one morning, I got up. There's a communal kitchen. It's very nice. You have to, there's no like, you're not pampered. It sounds like you're pampered from what I just said, but you have to cook for yourself and look after yourself. Oh, I'm sorry. It was very hard. No, no, but it's great because you go into one of the communal kitchens and, you know, do some eggs or whatever. Yeah. And I was making some coffee early one morning. I noticed that one of the people that worked there had, had got some donuts and stacked up a stack of donuts. And I, I thought I was the only one then. I was laughing, looking at these donuts going. I think I said out loud something like, only in America would you have this for breakfast? And this voice said, I know, right? And I turned around and it was Jodie Foster. Whoa. Sitting, just making notes, doing her thing. She was mixing, I think, Money Monster at the time. Yeah. But it's, uh, walking along with you now, it's, it sounds like a really pizzazzy, starry moment. And I was very, very taken to meet her because I really think she is phenomenal oh, in every respect. Great. And, uh, but because this place is so super laid back, there's none of that, Hollywood atmosphere there. It's very much like being in a sort of farming community and just yeah. getting things done. And uh, so you end up having a nice chat and she goes on her way and does her thing and you do yours. And, and it's only when you write home that night or you phone up, you go, yeah, I saw Jodie Foster this morning. Yeah. We were just having a cup of coffee. It was amazing. And the, the facility itself, the, the sound mixing studios are just incredible. And I've never had that level of technical amazing brilliance uh -huh. it's phenomenal they have a cinema there where you can go and check your mix as if it was in a real cinema it's a huge 400 seater cinema with the greatest sound system in the world so you wander in there at lunchtime and you go and play it back and you're like well that sounds a bit loud there but half the time i'm just sort of almost breathless with just joy at being there really it's really it never there wasn't a single day where i wasn't bowled over by what we were doing and, and the that... people are so nice. They're yeah. like sort of Ben and Jerry's kind of characters. Very... Nice, hippie-ish. Yeah, really laid back. Hey, how are we doing? There's, they've seen everything. They've dealt with every filmmaker from James Cameron through to... Every type of Wally. <laughs> there were some great James Cameron stories. Apparently someone said, uh, yeah, James said to one guy, uh, let's, call, let's call this guy Bill. I don't know who it was who he said this to. This Bill's, Bill's doing something on his film. He goes, Bill, you and I have the same size head. How come you're so much dumber than I am? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there were, I used to love hearing all these stories. <laughs> That's a good line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say that to my children when yeah, they're a bit older. exactly. <laughs> no, there were lots of lovely filmy character anecdotes you would get along the way. But generally, people that work there have worked there all their lives because it's such a lovely environment sure it really is spectacular do, we, do you see people in the distance getting sort of removed and shot <laughs> <laughs> no but i mean is there no there must be some sort of quite a lot of security over well, unless it's far I, away from I, it's very anything. very very far away from anything it really is. They must and have nerd lasers there and stuff, no, though, just to pick off the... Well, there's, here's the thing. Because, yeah, the nerds will find that place, won't they? You would think. Well, well here's the thing, right? 
it's a very nondescript road and a very nondescript entrance. And even when you got in, there is a security yeah. guard, but it's so laid back. Yeah. It is not like going into a, 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 yeah. you know, a movie studio. Do you think or it's a sort of hidden, there's a hidden sort of, you know, control. Like, like Disneyland where it's like, it's not this it's good for affable, nothing. It's an affable front, you know. But. And that's the place where he keeps all the old bits and pieces of paraphernalia and that's models, right. etc. That's the one the... thing I didn't get it together to do. Right. It's tricky to go and look around there. It's not like something you can just tour. But I'd been there long enough, I thought maybe I could ask. But I ended up being so busy with it all. The Have Ill. you ever seen that stuff? What, the... The, the little museum of yeah. all the Yeah, I mean, Wars. there are some things. There's a main house there. Uh, that you can uh, get your lunch. There's a canteen up at this big, beautiful main house. Has it got aliens in it playing jazz? <laughs> Not quite. Uh. But you go in there, and there's Indy's hat, and there's his, and there's Charlie Chaplin's cane, and mm. all kinds of amazing movie memorabilia, and um, and a library like you've never seen, the most beautiful library um, with reference books for everything. And it's just, it's really very special. I was that was the biggest treat of the entire last five years for me. Yeah. And then how have your previews been going? Has that process been... Because you're all totally done and dusted now, right? Yeah, only just, yeah. Just finished. Nothing um, else you can do to it? Nothing else I can do now. It's done, it's done now. It's too late. Got to let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and how are you feeling about it? I feel really good about it. Do you feel like you've got any kind of perspective on it? Or Yeah, I do now. But... Um, but we, ha- we had two sort of public previews where you just invite uh, anyone in, families, you try and find a mix of people and they know nothing about it. Yeah. And both times that was to about 400 people. And both times they went really well. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, we had, in both occasions, we hadn't finished the film. There were still huge chunks that were in storyboards, you know, sort of very crude animatic kind of uh, versions of the scenes. That all was fine. But then the big one, the big terrifying one, was our first proper invitation screening, which was at the Toronto Film Festival in uh, September. And um, that was really uh, an extraordinary experience because uh, I was very nervous in the run-up to it, obviously. There were 2,000 people in the audience. So quite a lot of the cast had come along. Some of them hadn't seen it yet. My wife had come along. She'd never seen any of it. Not a bit of it. So um, which cast members have you got there? Uh, that came to Toronto was Matthew McConaughey, Scarlett Johansson, Reese Witherspoon, Taryn Egerton, Tori Kelly, Jennifer Hudson and Nick Kroll. Right. Yeah. And good turnout. It was a good turnout. And um, just, but just really, you know, I was very violently ill earlier in the day. From, from nerves? Or? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you get like that? Yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Because um, like- you're... It's just too much. <laughs> it's just a bit too much. But then once once you get uh, got once I got up there and introduced it, I felt a bit better. But then you are your heart is in your mouth. I mean, you just had your premiere, didn't you, at the yeah, London yeah. Film yeah. Festival? Yeah. And do you not find those first few minutes? Uh, I was ready to leave. Yeah. Uh, at the beginning, I didn't fully sit down. I was so hovering above the seat. I just thought if it just carries on and no one's laughing, I'll yeah. just quietly yeah go, slip out, slip yeah. away and. Probably just change my name. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I, um, yeah, as I sort of gradually lowered myself as the the laughs came, and suddenly I thought, you know, it's it's okay. People are getting the joke, getting the idea of the film. They're getting because it's a thing of looking at it in pieces, isn't it? For so long, yeah. 
which you just, it's so hard to see what that thing is that is yeah. keeping it aloft. And often it's not, it's not in any of the individual pieces that you've been examining for so long. It isn't, is it? It's the greater... Yeah, which you can't, it's somehow, you can lose sight of what that is or forget it or... Yeah. So when it's, when it's, people start to see that again, you, it's like, oh. Yeah. You know, it has got through to them. And did you somehow. feel? Did you? Were you relieved at that? Did that feel good? Yes, it yes, does. It felt yeah. very good. Yeah. yeah. And I was. Uh, yeah, I didn't realise I'd been quite sort of weighed down by the. I sort of didn't see that it had been it had its grip on me for quite a while. I didn't <laughs> yeah. realise until that moment it started to evaporate. I was like, oh, I feel sort of light. <laughs> yeah. What is this feeling? <laughs> it's quite, quite well, good. I remember seeing you earlier <laughs> this year, and I remember the two of us were quite anxious about yeah. what we were doing. But when I walked in and saw you the other day, it was like a new man. Ah. Yeah, even if you, I hadn't known I've had already. a bit of work done as well, of course. I mean, <laughs> yeah. so, as soon I as the premiere ended, I was off to get my... Get your face all Face tightened and... <laughs> well, yeah. I, yeah, no. I, yeah, no, it was exactly the same. It was a very frightening sit down. My wife's sort of gripping my hand because I'm... She's, the, she's a tough critic as well. She won't hold back. I mean, I hate to tell that this isn't... This, I often, I think, I feel relieved now because I think... I've seen it with an audience and they enjoyed it and I felt like it connected. Yeah. Whether that works in terms of... Oh, a, I see. You know, right. Who knows whether that's going to translate to but you it can't... being successful or anything like that. But I know in that... Just even for that one screening, it was like... It, it's almost... Well, you know it can work. Yeah, and mm, I think that's yeah. the sort of... It's up to the gods, you know, as to what, what happens. Exactly. Whether it catches the right kind of thermal. <laughs> yeah. This, you know, but I... Yeah, I, it's a little bit like... It reminds me of a live... You know, after a good gig, you have that sort of feeling of it connecting. And, yes. Um, but then often there would be, would be bad gigs as well. And it's quite sort of interesting to see how differently films play. I sort of took, in a way, having done live stuff and finding the same show going down badly and well in, other, in different places and blaming myself for it. Yeah. It's quite interesting to see something that exact, is exactly the same go badly and well in different places yeah. and go, oh, so there's a sort of something else going on here that maybe was going on back then. Well, there's a chemistry <laughs> in the audience as well, though, yeah, isn't there? And you, yeah. see, you see that at live shows, definitely, yeah. when there'll be a loud laugher sometimes, and yeah. they can positively infect yes. the rest oh, right. of the audience. Yeah, yeah. what they need to imply, employ those guys. At yeah, just one or two a, of those. Sort of little... You don't well. want to go too crazy, because sometimes yeah. you can get a, a, a too idiosyncratic a laugher. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah, everyone's yeah. like, whoa. Yeah. yeah. What's and everyone's laughing at that. And everyone math, makes waiting for that laugh. Yeah, waiting for that guy yeah. to do his yeah. funny cuckoo you laugh. You hear it on radio comedy programs sometimes. You think, who the hell's that? But um, yeah. and then sometimes the opposite is true in an audience as well. You, there's there's just a little frosty group. Yeah. Everyone's all self-conscious. Or yeah. I, I feel exactly the same way though that I don't know how the film is going to do out in the world. Yeah and, yeah. and I have no control over that. But the three times we've shown it, especially the last time, yeah. it did, did everything we wanted it to do. And if anything, it really exceeded... Yeah. Um, Your expectations. Yeah, oh, God. I, it hopes. was very emotional at the end of the, of the, of the Toronto screening because there's, a, there's, that, there's two things going on. There's this enormous relief at having finished something after five years. Yeah. And... <laughs> And there's people, they were literally out of their seats dancing at the end and cheering. And oh, wow. It was, it was great. And there was this sort of excitement of like, wow, it did work. And uh, like, like you said, though, it may not work somewhere else or it'll go up and down in terms of 
uh, how it's received depending on the audience. But it was a it was a great feeling, and then and then that's why I got really sick afterwards because mm. I just realised ah oh, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> you just crashed. Crashed. Yes. But you said like you, you sort of went back to work fairly quickly after finishing Sing. Yeah. And you were all emotional and oh it was ridiculous. Yeah, I didn't realise. I just thought oh, I'll keep going. I'll keep working on other things. I just had this rhythm that I'd been running at for the last few years. And I kept going on this other stuff. And I was, I was on a Skype call with uh, this lady called Dana. And all she said to me was something like, yeah, that idea works. And what about if you moved it up earlier? And as she was saying this, I could feel my heart rate going. Like, oh God. Dana! And I started going, oh, you know what, Dana? Oh, I'm gonna have to do, not do this. And she was just thinking I was being a bit silly and sort of said, no, no, it's fine. I'm not saying anything big. Just change it. I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with me right now. <laughs> and she said, why, what's wrong? Don't you like this idea or, you know, the thing? And I didn't see it coming. Otherwise, I'd never have gotten a Skype call. I just started welling up and going, I I'm really sorry. I Poor weller. Poor welling up. <laughs> a weller weller. Yeah, it was really, really, really... So you started blubbing? So I was, I, yeah, and I felt very embarrassed and stupid. Right. And she was very sweet and she got a bit upset too. And I said, I think I need to stop. This is what it's like in the high-powered film business, is it? Just people... Mm. But it's just on Skype for, calls. Pathetic. That's it's good. pathetic. <laughs> it's embarrassing, really. It's nice. I think there should be more crying in business. <laughs> but anyway, I rang up the team I'm working with and I had to say, look, I'm really sorry, but uh, I, I was also feeling really run down. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I said, do you mind if I take some time off? And they were very good. And they said, sure, go oh, and do your nice. thing. You've been replaced, nice. though. Been replaced, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> we've replaced you with someone that doesn't cry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when we're trying to work. Yes, yes, that's Is that crying. okay? You're a really great guy, but pro tip, generally, we don't cry <laughs> while, we're, while we're working. We don't cry about seeing animals, there's really... What we do is we keep the crying for when we're... for private time. <laughs> so you went and you did the John Lennon uh, time off, bake some bread... Is that what he did? Yeah, he after the Beatles for a while, he... God, that's exactly what I did. He stayed in the Dakota with Yoko, and he learned how to bake bread, and uh, oh, he spent nice. time with... Um, yeah, I did a lot of cooking. Sean. Yep, did and, that too. Um, Not with Sean, a house obviously. husband, you know? Yeah, I was a house husband, so I could just do all the food and all the school runs, and it was great. That is a good tonic, actually. Just basically other people being more in, more interesting and important than you are for a bit. Right, for a little bit. Yeah, that's then, very good. Mm, I don't that. like that. Yeah, then you can marginalise yeah. like that. I don't like that. <laughs> it's, not, it's not good. Uh, even if I'm doing a school run, I remind them that I'm more important than they are. <laughs> Just before I drop them off. Yeah. Have you ever cried in a professional situation, Julian? Um, no, I don't think so. No, no. no only in, in Noel and I, sometimes we would have, if we ever had sort of arguments, We'd quite quickly make up, and they quite often be tears. Oh, oh really? That's yeah. nice. Tears of sort of like. <laughs> Sorry, mate. I don't know what. Huggles. Oh, yeah, that's great. Just you know, 
<laughs> and you sort of have a bit of that could, could happen quite easily. That's good. Yeah. Makeup sex. Not in the. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you want. That is the secret of, of being a productive uh, duo or unit of any kind, is being able to do that. You don't want to. Hold on. You don't want to hold on to the tension, no. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm that Joe and I were business. that good at doing. Did you have a few makeup tears? Not. I don't think tears, no. We only got to the wavery voice stage. Wobbly voice. <laughs> yeah. And so we'd be at wobbly voice. Do you think we need more of the sort of, you know, Metallica, the therapy? Is it oh, the, the yes. Metallica was it? That documentary. It was. Yeah. yeah making a monster was it? Yeah. The, the sort of bringing together of I think it could be good for a lot of creative partnerships you know, to do that. Well, it served them well, hasn't it? I mean, they're still yeah, yeah. putting out stuff. And it's a lot of unspoken sort of energy, isn't there? And when you when you're in a team, and it can go. It can drive you forward and it can sort of go wrong. And by definition, almost, you're not grown up yeah. <laughs> because you're sort of still playing dressing up and lots of... Right. You're sort of maintaining a sort of childlike energy which can, yeah. can work and then not work and you don't know how, why it's not working. And I sort of, yeah, I think maybe you could check into some therapy as a, group, as a double act, you know. My worry would be that you'd lo- that, <laughs> lose the- a comedy. Yeah. Yeah, you suddenly see why it you'd is that you're doing what you do. You'd start tiptoeing around each other. You'd be too respectful and then... You're triggering me you're tri- with yeah. that setup. You've set up... Uh, I'm setting up too many of your jokes. It's becoming a trigger from my childhood, <laughs> from setting up things and I felt... Um, yeah, you didn't laugh hard enough when I suggested that idea. Well, earlier on um, today we were talking about the way that you deal with other people's ideas in, in a yeah. creative situation. And... Uh, how you often get people who think they're being sensitive, and I'm sure I've done this myself, and you think, no, I don't want to just totally rubbish that person's idea. So I'll start off by saying, that is a great, great idea, which is very funny and interesting. We're not going to do it. Um, (laughs) And then you move on to something else. That's the thing. I read some where the writer of... uh... Um, Castaway, that yeah. geezer who wrote the uh, Tom, Tom Hanks, Hanks film. Yeah. yeah, he just said something about he'd written the film, but it'd taken him something like seven years to write. He said, so he just said, I've spent seven years writing this, so it's not that you have to like it, it's just that if you don't, just don't tell me. Yeah. That's what he was saying. Yeah. You know? Sometimes I feel like I wish trashing things was more frowned upon. Like this is just in little moments because it's obviously fun trashing things sometimes. But I always think if people understood that it's not cool to trash something, even if you think it's absolutely shit. Is this in public? This or is in like in, this, is, this is like General. a fantasy scenario. Like imagine what would the world be like if this was how everyone behaved. You, you don't have to lie. You don't have to pretend you like something if you don't. But the understanding is that you only enthuse about things you genuinely like. So you apply that to the kind of critical landscape. And in fact, that's what some yeah. uh, it, Word yeah. magazine, I don't know if you remember Word magazine, but that, when that started, that was their philosophy, was that they would only write about things they liked, liked yeah. and that they could enthuse about. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think anger and, and stuff is great as, as yeah. fuel and, and in terms of making stuff and what, you, what gets you angry and stuff. So, but in terms, of, I suppose, like it's in a critical in terms of reviews and criticism and yeah. that that how does that help things to I just think the culture of reviewing being some kind of respectable art form is totally out of hand now so that if you go online everyone wants to be a critic and everyone is setting themselves up as 
as some little reviewer of every kind of thing you can imagine. And they're really into it. And there's people doing these long, in-depth, very wordy reviews. And I'm sure some of them are perfectly insightful and have many valid points to make. But you just think, God, there's more to life than this, surely. It's more fun either to make something or to enthuse about something rather than to sit there going through, here's 50 reasons why the new films from so-and-so sucked and uh, didn't make any sense. You know, it's exhausting. I remember there's a guy, I don't want even him to know that I know who he is, really. (laughs) But um, he uh, wrote quite a bad review of the Boosh. But he, I went to a gig, I think it was a Ennio Morricone gig or something, and afterwards came out and I was with some friends and he was there. And he went, oh, hi. Name of critic withheld. I said, oh, yeah, you actually wrote a really bad review for us, didn't you? Yes, I know, and, um, you know, I, I've since watched the Boosh and uh, the whole thing now, and um, I think I was right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I was like, what? And I, I think I swore and got quite angry and then my friend sort of pulled me away slightly. <laughs> <laughs> and, but he was, you know, was, I mean, wow. Just, I mean, I admire Leave his balls. It's his, not worth it. Yeah, I really admire it. his balls for, uh, for the sort of cold just yeah. thing. I mean... Did he actually come over and say hi? I kind of think he must have done because I wouldn't, yeah, you wouldn't have know. gone over to him or know, knew who he was. But I just remember that moment. And then, yes, I, uh, I, I sort of... Fumed about it for a bit, and they once showed the Bush to um, <laughs> on a show like they're showing Bernard Manning, some sort of modern comedian. I see remember what, that. See what he thought yeah, of them. Alternative comedy. Showed Bernard Manning the Bush, and he said, um, "What do you, they said, what do you think of that?" He went, "These two haven't got a fucking clue." <laughs> about as funny as a bird in an orphanage. <laughs> I quite. I mean, I quite like that. These two haven't got a fucking clue. Wait, continue. Oh, look at that sunset, Rosie. And there's some clouds as well, making it even more spectacular. Well, I guess we should head home. I think it's tuna pasta tonight. Maybe an episode of Homeland. It was line of duty last night with DCI buckles. It looks nothing like me. And in Homeland, of course, we have Mandy Patinkin playing uh, the part of me. Yes, I'm aware that I look a bit like Saul Berenson. I've got a video where I inserted myself, or rather I, I put my mouth over Saul Berenson's face in a scene from Homeland and used it as part of my live show. It's not on YouTube, but it will be available to download at some point. My live show, that is, which incorporates various videos that I've made over the uh, last four years or something. And I collected them all together in a, um, a show that I called Adam Buxton's Old Bits. Um, because it sounds like I'm talking about my genitals, and that's funny. Uh, I mean, I'm aware that it isn't funny, and I did try and think of another title, but I honestly couldn't think of a better one. (laughs) That's not very good, is it? Anyway, 
at some point that will be that's been recorded i we taped it earlier this year at the bfi uh i should have waited until summer everyone looks sexier in the summer don't tape things in january when you're getting over a cold and you've just been eating non-stop cakes for two months I'll let you know when that's available to download. It should be fairly soon. Only a few weeks. Thanks to the good folks at Go Faster Stripe who do uh, Richard Herring's bits and pieces and Stuart Lee and lots of uh, brilliant comedians. But I will let you know about that when it happens. Don't worry, I won't shut up about it. Thank you very much indeed to Julian Barrett who was a little bit uh, nervous about being on the podcast. He's shy and modest and doesn't like to um, go on about himself, really. So I was really pleased that he agreed to have a mic pack strapped to him while we went for a walk. And thanks, of course, to Garth Jennings. Um, I'm sure he'll be back to let us know how his sequel to Sing is going and just talk about life in general at some point. Thank you very much indeed to Seamus Murphy Mitchell for production support and to Matt Lamont for conversation editing. I'll be back same time next week. Till then, remember that I love you. Bye. This is an advert for Squarespace. Every time I visit your website, I see success. Yes, success. The way that you look at the world makes the world want to say yes. It looks very professional. I love browsing your videos and pics, and I don't want to stop. And I'd like to access your members area. And spend in your shop. These are the kinds of comments people will say about your website if you build it with Squarespace. 
Just visit squarespace.com slash Buxton for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, because you will want to launch, use the offer code BUXTON to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So put the smile of success on your face with Squarespace.